Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, everybody, or good evening, everybody. Whenever, whenever, I don't know when you're going to listen to this. So, good day, everybody, or good night, everybody. Close enough. It stays somewhere. It, fill in the blank with however that works for you. I am salty. And I'm spice. Welcome to another edition of the 3 by podcast. And today we've got an interesting subject. It's always fun to talk about stuff that you do wrong. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because some of the more read articles that we've had, we've put out on uh, 3BY are articles about what we have screwed up. <laughs> so there we are, you know. So we're going to talk about a few things that that, uh, that uh, we have done. Well, at least one thing in particular that we, we've done wrong that uh, keeps coming back in different forms. So it's the same mistake. We just keep making it in different ways. Sometimes we don't realize we're making it as we're making it. Uh, we're also going to have a written version of this article, so you're going to get a one-two punch on a, on a podcast and written version. So we invite you all to listen to that or read that. So what is the mistake I'm talking about? Well, with everything, people tend to have focuses. We tend to focus on things that we deem to be important. And when it comes to prepping, we tend to focus on certain aspects of it while not recognizing the need to focus a much more broad area. I'll give you an example. With me, it is, I love guns. I'm a gun guy. I'm a gun fanatic. I've I've had I've got a long history with guns. I learned how to shoot when I was a little kid, and I've been shooting all my life. I love to shoot. I love to just fiddle with guns. I love to buy guns. I can't say that I love to sell guns, but I've certainly <laughs> traded off or sold my share. I mean, even you have to admit. We have I've, a toys for toys policy. Yeah, we have so a toys for toys policy. Any guns he sells, the money gets to be used for whatever other guns he wants to buy next. So well, to be fair, at this point in time, we have more than the minimum <laughs> amount of guns that a person would need to as a prepper. It, is, it would not be honest to call them prepping guns in a large part. Although, to be fair, the, the two biggest recent purchases, the three biggest recent purchases we have, were our primary prepping guns. Having said that, they did replace other guns that we had. Yeah. So, even though they, they aren't actually toys, it still works with the toys for toys. For example, she got a... Tavor X95. Yes. Check out the podcast we did on that. Uh, excellent podcast, one of our better ones. Uh, the Tavor X95, she got it, she fell in love with it. Blah, blah, blah. Much, much nicer than right. the AR for, so for the, my yeah, use. Yeah, the ARs that she had. She had ARs before. Really nice Wyndham M4 ARs. <laughs> got a review on those. Nothing wrong with them. Nothing Just wrong not with, my groove. Not, so when we got the X95, the Wyndhams had to go because the X95's yeah, closing in on 2000 bucks, and we are not made of money. So, toys for toys. So that's a perfectly reasonable approach. But what happens is I think about, this is my natural reaction. 
I hear something going on, or I start thinking about something that is going on, or I start worrying about something that's going on, and I'll order a case of ammunition, or I used to do this. I don't do this anymore. <laughs> I'd order a case of ammunition. Just to, It would make me feel better. It would make me feel safer. It would make me feel like I am doing something. But frankly, there are just so many cases of 72.62 by 39 hollow points that a person needs in their life. And we have more than that. No, we don't. We have exactly (laughs) the right number. We have exactly the right number. And I got to tell a story on your mother. She had a great mother. Her mother was an amazing woman, a lot of fun, personality you wouldn't believe. (laughs) I mean, she was a hoot. Both of her parents were hoots. They were a, a great couple. They were married for 50 years, and it was they were a great family. But her mother had nine children. Now, Spice is the youngest of those nine, and her mother used to have a saying. She used to say, I wouldn't take a billion dollars for any of my children or give you a plug nickel for another one. <laughs> So I think I, I think there's some truth to that too, <laughs> you know. So she, she had just the right number of children, and I, I think that's true because Spice is the last one she had. I can't complain that she should have stopped earlier. I mean, that, yeah, that can't, can't go there. So anyway, getting back to my original story, yeah, that's what I do. I I I feel tense about something. It was kind of almost like. A stress reaction. It was a stress reaction. It was almost kind of like one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this this was my thing. Now, the trouble, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with having a lot of ammunition or a lot of guns. There's nothing wrong with that. It holds value. It nothing holds else. Value, yeah. We could sell them if we needed to. It's, you know. It's right. And it's, it's, it's a... It's a form of tangible wealth. And ammunition, if well-stored in art, is well-stored. Which is why I wasn't being vocal about it when I thought we were had more than we needed by a long shot. Right, because it's tangible wealth. Yep. But having said that, the problem doesn't lie in having all this ammunition, even though it really does kind of stack up around the house. The problem lies in opportunity cost. While I'm spending our our prepping resources on buying more of what we already have plenty of, we're not doing some of the stuff that we need to do. And attention. Attention is important. And attention. Because it's not just about what you buy, obviously. In fact, that's less than, than half of the importance is what you buy. It's what you know is equally or more important. So I'm spending all my time and energy shopping for ammunition instead of doing what I should be doing. Jump right in here. My favorite approach for figuring out what you actually do need is visualization. You try and think of what kind of situation you might have to deal with, and you visualize yourself moving through that situation, handling things as they come up throughout the day, uh, imagining what kind of problems might come up and how you deal with them. And that is a, a way I've found both in my professional life and 
in my non-professional life to find holes by something other than the half a worm in the apple method of getting into the situation and then finding out you're not prepared. I find if you can visualize your way through something, you'll come to a spot like, yeah, that this thing that happened to me last month, what if it happened in this situation? How would I deal with it then? Well, one of the things that, that's key to the visualization, and this is really an important thing, and this is kind of hard for some people, is not only is visualization important, but it has to be realistic visualization. And it has to be keying on the things that you think are most likely to be devastating effects in your, in your area. Say, for example, I can visualize that I will need every single round of this ammunition that I've bought when the zombie apocalypse comes, because you got to get them with headshots, right? But that's not a very realistic visualization. And, of course, some people use zombies for metaphors, and I understand that. But still, I mean, there's only so much you can do. There's only so many people in North Missouri. That's right. I mean, there really is. And so... But and you, most you of them are point. very good people. Yeah, most of them are very good people, and most of them will be helping me put down the zombies. No, we're not. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's an extreme and ridiculous example, but it is yes. an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, you can visualize stuff. And then what you also need to do when you're, um, when you're going through life and thinking about prepping is you need to stop and look at what's going on around you and think about the realistic needs that you have as they apply to what's going on around you. And my example for this, I've used it before, but I'll use it because it's a really good example. Uh, a couple years ago, I think it was, probably a couple years by now, um, there, was a, there was an Ebola outbreak. And it even made it to America through some really incompetent hospital procedures. They brought somebody over here, and the hospital really butchered their isolation procedures. They did a horrible job. Local people, Americans, got sick with Ebola. And people were going nuts. Ebola this, Ebola that, Ebola this. Well, living with a person who's in the field, not of Ebola, but, you know, in the <laughs> medical uh, knowledge field. We understood, me through her, that the risk of getting Ebola in North Missouri is, frankly, very... It's right very, up there with the zombie apocalypse. Very small. It gets just ridiculous. So... How did that help me? Well, what happened was I started to use visualization and thinking, okay, well, yes, we're not going to get Ebola. But looking at medical stuff. Flu. What, Hello. We're very likely here? to get flu. What hits here? I'm going to tell you a story. I'm ready to tell you a story. There's a little town in North Missouri called Memphis. 
And Memphis is right up on the Iowa border. Not quite, I mean, it's not right on the border, but it's very close to the Iowa border. And in that town, if you were to drive through that town, and you pretty much have to know where you're going in Memphis, you'll come around the corner and you'll see a World War I memorial. And yeah, there are World War I memorials all over the place. But this one's a little different. This one is a memorial for a mother to her son who passed away in Fort Riley, Kansas in 1817. Or 1917, I'm sorry. World War I. But he never made it out of the States. Um, his name was Pernell Bats Barnett. She erected this memorial out at their farmhouse, or where their farm was, out in the middle of nowhere, in this little nowhere county. And nobody ever went past it because you, know, you had to know it was there to get there. Right? And the locals all called it the soldier in the field because it really was. It was out in, there was cattle right next to the, the yeah. big um, gravel road, gravel road, cattle pasture, and monument, not, more cattle pasture. And not only gravel road, but you had to know which gravel road to drive in on because one of the gravel roads is just mud and you'll never get through it if it's been raining. Yes. But this, the soldier in the field stood out there for a hundred years, literally a hundred, well, 99 years. Several years ago, it was damaged. The frost heave caused the head to fall off, and so that was kind of bad. So he stood out there for several years without a head on him, but they, they recovered the head. So anyway, they ended up moving this to town, and it's in Scotland County, Missouri. And it's, it's nondescript, but this one guy, Pernell Betts Burnett, quite probably was one of the first people to die from a pandemic that killed millions, and I mean millions of people. And this is Scotland County, Missouri. Now, he was in Kansas at the time, but people here got it too. So, why don't you talk, give a little bit of the of the. Story. We were visiting the soldier in the field because uh, it was a geocache site yeah, for a so while. Yeah, somebody there. put up a geocache there. And, and I didn't even know about it until... You know, we saw the geocache, and, and we're like, okay, cool. We did geocaching for a while. Yeah. So we went out to the geocache, and there was a flower bed there, and we were tending the flowers and things and giving him his fresh new flag. And I got to reading the inscription on it. Which is, and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a script to the, on the page, because the inscription <clears throat> is heart-wrenching. Yes, it was. But what caught my professional interest is the Fort Riley, Kansas, November 1917, died of pneumonia. Mm. Just as I had been studying about the outbreak of the Spanish flu epidemic, the heart of which was in 1918, which apparently started in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, at a hog farm, and the first real outbreak was in Fort Riley, Kansas, at the... Army training base in, in the second week of November in 1917. So yeah. there's a very good chance, now we don't know for sure, but there's a very good chance that that Purnell was one of the very first people to die from the flu. And 
you know, I we were thinking about all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to catch Ebola. What could we catch here? And my first thought went to the soldier in the field. Well, he died up. Lots of people in lots of small towns across the world, including the U.S., died of the flu. And not just the 90-year-olds and the two-months-olds and the people who were already deadly sick with other things, which is what most flu kills. It was people who were mostly in the prime of their life and were healthy three days before they died. So, so I thought, okay, fine. Okay, let's look at what preps we have to deal with if a pandemic comes, like the flu. I mean, it's, it's been here recently. If we get the virulent strain of the flu that starts killing a bunch of people, what can we do about it? And I realized we had absolutely nothing. We had no way to care for people. We had no way to isolate each other if we needed to, you know, go out and be around people or, you know. What we had was self-isolation to protect ourselves, which is not absolutely nothing, but it's not where we well, wanted to be either. We didn't either. have much of it either. We had very, very little. Oh, we could have stayed holed up in the house for a few Yeah, I mean, you know. With a and use the guns. <laughs> use the guns to keep them away. Actually, isolation does work, by the way. There were whole towns back in the, the Spanish flu that just cut so you can't come in. They actually did use their guns. They wouldn't even let the mail trains into town. They turned them back at the town border with guns in their hand. And people in those towns did not get the flu. They may have gotten in trouble, but they didn't die from the flu. Unlike everybody else around. So, yeah, that, that was my visualization made me stop and realize, wow, we are way underprepared. And a lot of this stuff isn't expensive. It isn't difficult to find. But as I was considering this, there was this huge Ebola scare going on, and you couldn't find any of it then. So once the scare cleared, we got prepped for flu. Just, an, just a, an example of, of how that works. And the important thing to me is when you're doing the visualization, you don't just focus on the big drama things, not only the big drama situations, but the uh, common moments for the other kinds of situations. Okay, you're evacuating because some big storm hit your area and you have to uh, get out of there. Hey, do we have... Hygiene supplies for the females, those are really important to somebody's short-term well-being under some circumstances. And I bet there's a lot of people who haven't thought of that because you just don't consider those kind of things. Do we have in our um, preps the kind of stuff we'd need to keep our kids happy when we're traveling and we have to put them down in a strange place? If you're going to be in a shelter and you've got somebody in the family who can't sleep with any noise or light around, do you have earplugs and something to cover the eyes for those people? Just visualize what goes on through the whole day and you see that there are some things you can do which might be really important to short-term well-being that are cheap and easy, but you just hadn't thought of because they're not fun. They're not your area of interest. They're not something that particularly scares you about the situation, so it doesn't draw your attention. Yeah, I mean, things like if you're putting together, you know, a, a 
bug out bag or 72 hour bag for a child, you know, does it have a coloring book in it? Does it have a, a set of eight crayons? And again, I will say, parents, do not abuse your children. If you're going to buy them crayons, buy Crayola brand. Don't buy the cheap ones. Don't be those persons. Get used to that disclaimer every time the subject of crayons comes up around Salty. Yeah, I, I have a few. I, I have a few things I can't let go. <laughs> Sloan. We're not going to go into what it is, but Sloan. I'm not letting that one go. Um, but uh, Crayola crayons are the best. Period. And this is I. I don't get. I am not a paid endorser by the Crayola Corporation. I don't even know if there is a Crayola Corporation. I'm sure they're owned by somebody, but you know. And I don't have any particular brand of coloring book that I particularly like. So, the big mistake that we're focusing on here, which is not crayons, is not. But that it can turns be out. a big mistake, but not really a prepping mistake. <laughs> is that don't spend so much of your time and attention and resources prepping for the thing that draws your attention most when it needs to be spread out over a. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. A larger set of scenarios or a wider range of types of preps. Because a, a lot of other problems could, could be dealt with pretty easily and quickly if you just stop to think about them, but they don't immediately jump to your attention. All right. I think, I think we've made our point, so I think we're going to wrap this one. Have, have it be kind of a short one, and, and uh, we'll be putting together a slight ar- uh, article about this in the, in the future, so watch for that. And we'll catch you the next time. Thank you for listening. Be well.